This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by Ape Entertainment, who's proud to present the return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves coming to a comic shop near you this March. My name is Alex Junberg. I'm an ordained minister with the Church of Universal Life. And you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Dave. And as I understand it, no pope means no rules. Welcome to episode 105 of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, February 27th. I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not happy to announce the new permanent co-host and a new sunny disposition for the show, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist slash co-creator of Good Plus, which you can find at goodpluscomic.com. Nerds and later nerds, I am proud to present to you your new permanent host of THN, Mr. David DeMarco. Dave, I don't know why I didn't just ask you right from the start. I knew I could count on you. Oh, I thought it had something to do with the fact that you shot me the first time. Listen, what's past is past. It's water under the bridge, my friend. It is bygones be bygones time. Honestly, it only hurts a little when I breathe, which is nice. My wife has not known me in that way for some months, but still, again, forgiven. It's an honor and a privilege to take Matt's place here on the Twitter Nerd. <gasps> Matt! Surf's up, DeMarco. That was a shotgun. That's right, nerds. My name is Matt Baum, and that's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not coming crawling back from the burning wreckage of my failed rock star dreams to fix this flailing podcast, I write the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And this week on the show, you'll hear reviews of Guardians of the Galaxy 0.1. And Uncanny Skull Kicker's number one. After that, we'll review ten comics faster than the Vatican could shred our papal applications during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the Catholic sorcery of the newly retired Pope Benedict will reveal to us the secrets of next week's comics. And finally, in preparation for the Age of Ultron event, we'll have a brief history lesson on the Adamantium Avenger antagonist from my drunk wife when we take a visit to Casey's Crazy Corner. But before we get to all that papal selection jury rigging, let's take a moment for my buddy Joe Patrick to welcome his co-host and life mate back to the show. Joe, anything sweet you'd like to say? It's about time. You some bitch. It's about f***ing time. <laughs> and then we'll talk about this week's big news. <laughs> This week, IDW announced plans to bring Chris Roberson's digital Monkey Brain Comics imprint into print starting in June. Roberson famously left DC slash Vertigo over concerns with how the publisher dealt with creators' rights before founding Monkey Brain Comics last year. The first book to hit stands will be Roberson's own Edison Rex, with art by Dennis Culver, with more to follow as the year progresses. In their press release, Monkey Brain co-founder Allison Baker said, quote, since we first conceived of Monkey Brain Comics, our goal has always been to make it as easy as possible for readers to enjoy our titles in as many formats as possible. IDW has impressed us for years with their high production values, quality content, and business savvy, and we're delighted that they'll be helping our creators achieve that goal. I am really excited about this. What do you think? Why are you excited? Out of curiosity. Because, like, I don't have a tablet. Okay. And I don't want to read comics at you're, my... You're a cave baby. No, because tablets are pricey, and oh, I'm please. I spend my money responsibly. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Like I don't have a good way to read digital comics, and I've really wanted to. And I just think that for once, so for me personally, I I think it's great 
because I've really wanted to check these titles out, but I don't want to sit in front of my computer and read them or try to read them on my tiny phone. And I think that it's great for them because this will get their stories into the hands of people that haven't checked it out online. Okay, here's my thought on this. And I like Chris Robertson. I'm happy to see him land somewhere good, especially after the whole thing went down with Vertigo, because I know that was probably pretty rough for dude. But I just don't know what the success rate's going to be here with this digital first stuff that is then printed. It doesn't seem to sell very well. If you look at, like, even, like, the Legends of the Batman thing that they did at DC. Legends of the Dark Knight? Pardon me. Legends of the Dark Knight mm-hmm. thing that they did at DC. That's a Batman title written by some amazing writers and drawn by some amazing artists. Didn't sell worth a crap because it was already out there in digital. I just don't... I don't know what the success rate is going to be here, and it almost seems redundant, I well, guess. maybe the metric is, is uh, the metric for success is less. Perhaps. Per- and perhaps because it's true. already gone through one format. And maybe that's true. I, maybe they could do it for a lower price or something, too. I don't know. It just almost seems maybe. redundant to me. Well, I, I think it's great. I, I think getting their stuff into the hands of more readers is exactly what Monkey Brain needs, because for guys like me that aren't necessarily on the on the ball with digital comics you know this is what it's going to take to get people interested in their product sure if it works it works great i just don't know that it's going to work that's where i'm at fair enough now another thing to consider is that they put out their monkey brain uh, their digital stuff for uh like 99 cents for like 16 pages of content or whatever it is right so it's not a full comic right no and and so 299 or 399 yeah you might get like a thicker you might get like three chapters for the 32 of a normal pages comic or, whatever. or whatever yeah i mean that makes sense i get so that. yeah i i think it's a i think it's a good move for these guys i'm personally excited because i always wanted to read this stuff but never really had a good way to do it fair enough and uh so yeah good job chris roberson In Marvel movie news, Academy Award winner Chris Cooper has been cast as Norman Osborn in the Amazing Spider-Man sequel set for 2014. Nothing was announced about Osborn's alter ego, the Green Goblin, meaning that Cooper may not be playing a villainous role in the film, at least not a costumed one. Of course, Sony has already cast two supervillains for the Amazing Spider-Man 2, Jamie Foxx as Electro and Paul Giamatti. As the rhino. Apparently he's going to be a little pudgier than we remember him. He's inside a mech suit. So, Joe Patrick, do you think Cooper can chew as much scenery as Willem Dafoe behind a mask? You know, oh, Spider-Man. I'll get you next time. Oh, Spider-Man. Face me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really hope they don't go to the Green Goblin right away. I want. I like Chris Cooper. We both agree this is leading to the Green Goblin. You can't introduce... Well, I think you eventually lead to the Green yeah, Goblin. Yeah, you can't introduce... Chris Cooper as Norman Osborn and not touch. But him you know what I don't buy at all is the idea of Chris Cooper putting on some sort of suit and flying a glider. No, he'd have to be a monster. He'd so have to be like, like, they, maybe, maybe they will do the ultimate version. Yeah, I think you have to. I think the old idea of the Green Goblin just doesn't. It's not going to translate to the screen. No, they and if you really watch those Raimi, that if you watch Spider Man, Spider Man One now, it's it's very kind of it's very painful. Yeah, it didn't work at uh, all. I mean, and if it had been anyone other than Willem Dafoe. In that, in that role, I think it would have been unbearable. Yeah, like, I liked him as Norman. I liked the idea of him, like, seeing himself and talking to his Back you know, to evil self. formula! <laughs> but the mask just didn't work. No. They've got to be leading to a Green Goblin. I don't think we'll see him in this movie. Maybe in the end of the yeah, film. Yeah, like the, like the final part of the trilogy. Right. Where they throw Emma Stone off a bridge. <laughs> Break her neck. <laughs> Giamatti is the rhino, though. That is brave casting. Yeah, I, I really want to know what that is going to be about. Maybe they're just going to do 
originally the rhino was a Russian spy that got roped into this experiment. This is true. So maybe they're just going to do, you know, I am Russian spy, codenamed the rhino. <laughs> you know, and he's not going to run around in a, in a and suit And Jamie Foxx can be like, woo, and I'm Electro. <laughs> That's a racist. I can da- well, the, he's like kind of, you know, dancing, rapping guy. It's what yeah, he does. That's right. So racist. <laughs> Jamie Foxx, man. Must be the money. <laughs> Finally. That was him. I got it. Finally, Boom Studios has announced that Hero Bear and the Kid, the Eisner-winning all-ages title from cartoonist and former Disney animator Mike Kunkel, will be making its long-awaited return soon-ish. Dot, dot, dot. Soon. Soon-ish. <laughs> Hero Bear and the Kid stars Tyler, a young boy with a magical stuffed toy that comes to life in the form of a superheroic bear. The Calvin and Hobbes-esque adventure series had a brief run beginning in the late 90s before disappearing from stands completely in the early 2000s. No firm release date was announced, but Boom shared some new art from Kunkel, who hasn't missed a step in the time he's been away from comics. Matt, were you ever a fan of that series when I, it came out? I loved Hero Bear and the Kid. It is and it's so been good. way too long since we've had any. And as far as I know, Kunkel hasn't been doing anything else. He hasn't really done right? much in comics. Maybe he's done pinups or guest spots here and there, but I don't recall seeing anything. He's like, as far as I can remember, he's been completely off the radar. Like I forgot about Hero Baron and the Kid until I read this news story that you plugged in. Mm-hmm. I had wiped it from my mind. I love it. Yeah, I'm excited. I think it's great, and I think now it is a great time for it. Back in the uh, you know late '90s, early 2000s. I feel like people didn't really make as much fanfare about all ages comics as they do these days. Right. You know, they were always around. DC had its Cartoon Network books and But I mean good all ages books. Yeah. Like ones that appealed to everybody, not just the wacky crap. Yeah. You know? And and I think now is a great time for Kunkel to come back and bring Hero Bear back. I think his audience is gonna be a lot larger. There's a new generation of kid readers out there that are ripe for this sort of thing it it is very disney-esque and i uh, very pixar-esque i think it's a great fit i also think it's a good grab for boom who's going to be losing all the disney titles oh yeah i think this is an excellent move for them to try and stay in that all ages well i'm not gonna say money grab but <laughs> no i don't maintain their all ages books that they've done really well on this is an well, sure, and they them. still have, like, you know, their Adventure Time stuff, and, yeah. you know, they're doing they, a good job maintaining they that picked despite up the, the loss of Disney. They picked up the Cartoon Network stuff. I think that's excellent for them. Mm-hmm. Are they going to sell as much of it? Eh, we'll see. But this is an excellent place for Hero Bear and the Kid. Super excited to have it back. Likewise. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where we're working on our own kids' book, Hero Bear and the Prick, a heartwarming gay love story about an alcoholic with a mouth who talks himself into trouble only to summon his big gay bear partner, Joe Patrick, to fight his battles for him. Why has it got to be a gay thing? It's all gay things. We're back together, buddy. Each week, my Pope-to-be, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter, and we not only read your responses, but if you call us on Skype, using our Skype name, Two-Headed Nerd, and leave us a message, we'll play them on the all-new Answer of the Week audio blog, exclusively at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joe, what were we asking these nerds this week? Our question of the week was, what is your favorite all-ages comic of all time? And if you want to hear us making fun of your answers and our own uninformed answers, 
Go to twitternerd.com and check out the unedited, not safe for whalers answer of the week audio blog right now. Booyah! Maybe not right now. Well, but maybe not right now. But soon. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> it's review time on THN, where DJ and I put on our monocles, critics' caps, and nothing else for an in depth discussion of two of this week's new comics. It's really awkward. Joey. Which lucky funny book is getting your naked judgment this week? My review this week is for Guardians of the Galaxy 0.1 from Marvel Comics, written by B.M. Bendis, with pencils by Steve McNiven, inks by John Dell, and colors by Justin Ponzer. Here's your solicit. Move over, Avengers. The Guardians got this. Whoa. Star-Lord, Gamora, <laughs> Drax, Raccoon, Groot, and the Invincible Iron Man? You sound like Muscle Man from regular show. <laughs> <laughs> the Marvel Universe just got bigger as the legendary cosmic epic returns in the hands of superstar creators B.M. Bendis and Steve McNiven. In this special prelude issue, meet the man behind the Guardians, Star-Lord, and discover how this child of Earth became the leader of the ragtaggiest of teams in all the galaxy. I think it'd be raggiest-taggiest. Raggiest-taggiest of teams in all the galaxies. Wow. All setting the stage for next month's historic Guardians of the Galaxy number one. This is the start of something big, Marvel fans. At least we hope, because there's a movie coming. (laughs) As I mentioned on last week's show... If you bothered to listen to it since Matt Baum wasn't here. I know. What's the point, right? I'm a big fan of the cosmic corner of the Marvel Universe, especially Nova and the Guardians of the Galaxy. I was even a big fan of Star-Lord specifically before Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning brought the character back to prominence a few years ago. I had a couple of his old appearances from Marvel premiere back in the early 80s. His origin was pretty wacky back then. (laughs) I think he met God. God gave him a spaceship. What? Yeah. It's really? Weird. Well, he meant he met some uh, uh, an old bearded white man living in the heart of the sun. He was like, "Are you God?" Huh. And the guy was like, "Maybe." Speculator, <laughs> speculator, watch that book is actually selling for money now. Oh man, yeah. This special point one issue turns back the clock and retells Star Lord's origin. Which has not been addressed for many, many years, and it gets a much-needed update. Uh, 30 years ago, Prince Jason of Spartax crash-landed near the home of an Earth woman named Meredith Quill. That's like Space Jason. Space Jason. <laughs> Let's a- refer to him as Space Jason. <laughs> in a tale as old as time, the woman and the recovering soldier fall in love, and he's forced to leave her behind as he goes back to war, leaving her carrying his big prego alien baby. Deadbeat Space Dad. Deadbeat Space Dad. Fast forward 10 years and young Peter Quill is already showing signs of the hero he'll become. But when villainous brood soldiers arrive to exterminate the Spartax bloodline, Peter is forced to grow up fast. Now as with last week's Nova, Bendis and McNiven have delivered a comic with a very cinematic feel. Uh, Even the cover looks like a movie poster. Totally. Uh, Bendis' script is very strong and the story is well paced. McNiven has turned in some of the strongest work I've seen in a while. I just hope he can stay far enough ahead to keep the pace on a monthly book. Yeah, he's slow. Regular fill-ins are fine. You know, I don't mind if he does sure, if they three do or t- four and then a fill-in. Or they do it tastefully where it's like, this story is a kind of a flashback. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Here's a different artist or whatever. Or but this is from this character's point of view, so here's a different artist. Right, but don't make the book super late just to maintain artistic uh, integrity and or whatever. And don't plug in totally different artists like right in the middle of the damn <laughs> yeah, story exactly you know? yeah, make it make sense 
Though this issue takes place decades ago, there's nothing dated about it. Bendis and McNiven did a great job making the story feel timeless. There are no, like, references to, you know, technology or right. TV where's, shows where's or the beef? political you know? figures. <laughs> like the... the Gangnam style. Or yeah, stupid. Exactly. You know? the, biggest thing, the biggest thing that kind of places it, other than the little caption that says it's 30 years ago, is she's on a corded phone. Yeah. Like stringing it from her kitchen out to her porch. Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, because she wouldn't have a cell phone or a cordless. But she's also like in Colorado up in the mountains, so maybe there's no cell towers. Well, but thir- I mean, it, it's just, it works. It's right. very timeless, right. and there's nothing to take you out of it. You can reread it 10 years from now, and it'll still feel right. Absolutely. Uh, I do have a couple of quibbles here and there. If this follows the Abnet and Landing stuff, why is Star Lord so concerned about his dad now all of a sudden? And where has his special space gun that controls the elements been all this time? Yeah. There, That's a, something brand new, right? That wasn't no. the original Star-Lord? Here's a fun fact. He actually did have a gun that did that exact thing back in the 80s. But uh, he wasn't using it when Abnett and Lanning reintroduced it. He just okay. had regular he just had a gun. You know, ray guns or whatever. Uh, I also think that the new uniform designs are generic and boring. Uh, I'm not saying Gamora needs to run around in a green bathing suit split down to her navel or anything. But couldn't we come up with something more interesting than plain-looking spacesuits? I, I mean, they look like they stepped out of Mass Effect. I like the spacesuits. Honestly, I liked it. <clears throat> they don't have personality. Maybe they don't have personality, but they also don't look like superheroes, and I think that's what they're trying to get across. This is not going to be your typical group of superheroes. But see, I really liked the last crew, the last uniforms from the previous series, where they all had similar-looking uniforms, Right. but they were all individually you know, altered. Like, Star-Lord had that helmet... No, right, no. They were sort of like the sort of like the X Men, where like they've got an X uniform, but it's all kind of tailored for yeah, you know, like them. the Green Lantern Corps almost. Yeah, kind of. And these just look. I mean, I will give a special shout out to Hillary, who works at Legend, who said they look like they stepped right out of Mass Effect, and she's totally right. I don't necessarily like the the designs of the outfits, but didn't bother me. It's a small thing. I'm willing to let that stuff pass. Uh, Bendis is giving a much needed facelift to Star Lord and. He sets up this series proper first issue very nicely. Uh, I'm giving this a buy it. I'm pretty excited for the direction the Marvel Cosmic Universe is heading. No, Nova was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. This was great. I'm right there with you. I, I think things are looking up. I wish Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning were a part of this. That's my only complaint. I do too. I, I really do. Too. do. Now, that said, the, I don't know. I thought the spacesuits or whatever kind of updates the feel a little bit. I think it's kind of ridiculous to have people in superhero costumes in outer space. It, it just doesn't totally work. I get it for, like, the Shire Guardsmen and stuff like that. That, you know, that makes sense. They are heroes on their world. They wear special outfits, you know, and that makes sense. The Guardians of the Galaxy, I kind of like them ragtag. I like this look. I think it modernizes a little bit. I, you still got, like, Drax. You could still see his tattoos and stuff. Gamora was obviously who she was. And Rocket Raccoon looked like Rocket Raccoon. He was wearing a weird little red well, yes, outfit. Because they're it's it's clear who those characters are just right. for, by looking at their faces. And the final page of this was really exciting for me to see them all there. Big spoiler alert: Iron Man's right there. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this definitely spills directly out of what's going on in Iron Man right now, where he's in space. Right. They're connecting it to the Avengers, <clears throat> which they have to. If they're going to establish these characters, they're going to have to establish yeah. them with their most popular and characters. The big right rumor now. going around right now is that at the end of Iron Man three, Tony Stark is going to say, "You know what? I need to get off Earth for a while." 
and he's going to fly off into space which in is his fine. brand new space armor. Which is fine. And then meet up with the Guardians in the credit cookie I or think whatever. that's cool. I think that's I, totally yeah. fine. Yeah, and if that is what happens, I will lose my mind. Yeah, that would be awesome. And if we see Rocket like, Raccoon at the end of Iron Man 3, oh I will die. God, and anybody that's poo-pooing that who didn't think the Avengers were going to show up, who didn't think the character Hillary from the fourth highest grossing film of all time yeah. would not show up in the Guardians of the Galaxy is a fool. I'm sorry, but they have to connect the two. And the Avengers have bumped into the Guardians of the Galaxy a million times yeah. before in Marvel history, so it's not unheard of. It no, makes no, sense. No, no, no. This was super fun. McNiven is drawing out of his mind. Bendis is perfect for, the, perfect for this. If the Guardians of the Galaxy movie starts like this with the origin of Peter Quill, I love it. Totally, I'm in. It read like it like like Silva said about Nova last week. This read like the great first 15 minutes of a movie. Absolutely, a huge buy it for me. Matt, what did you read this week? I read Uncanny Skull Kickers number one from Image, written by Jim Zub. I'm not even gonna try and say the rest of his name. Zubkovich with art by Edwin Huang. Here's your solicit: The Uncanny Skull Kickers. Two hard-headed mercenaries kill monsters and cause havoc in their search for money, fame, and adventure. A bold new direction, a perfect jumping-on point, a newly added adjective, our 19th issue, but also a new issue number one. It's all here, people. Don't make us use more exclamation marks. (laughs) The solicit works perfectly for this book because they are very conscience of what they do here like it says skull kickers is back with a new adjective and a new duo of adventurers big bald gun having rex is still here but he's joined by a female elf named kusia or kusia hmm? with a talking magic sword kuchia kuchia if you're wondering where the dwarven star of the title went fear not he's still here on <laughs> every page just maybe not the way you'd expect i'm not going to spoil it because it's hilarious Zub and Huang have created a bit of an institution with Skull Kickers in the sense that there's just nothing like it on the stands, which is really too bad because there's way too many fantasy RPG comics out there as it is without a shred of creativity or style. Skull Kickers is Dungeons and Dragons meets Looney Tunes, complete with ridiculous sound effects that aid in narration like ominous rumble and dramatic kathunk <laughs> zum sums up the complete classic skull kicker story in a classic skull kickers by the way in quote in a two-page info dump that could have been handled really poorly but here reads more like a dungeon master bringing his players up to speed huang's art is perfect for zub's cartoony writing along with vibrant colors by misty coats and ross campbell he gives the story an adventure time animated feel without crossing into cute or manga territory he totally wears his joe madaria ed mcginnis roots on his sleeve in every panel but he has enough of his own style to keep the art really fresh and fun and like i said between the sea of boring idw D and magic titles skull kicker stands out as a really legitimately fun fantasy rpg romp for any fan who just needs a quick fix on on a lunch break or a short commute if i had one complaint it might be that the book read a little too fast but it's fun enough that you don't mind this is ridiculous it's wacky it's big it's explosive and it's just a good time after i read this i have to go back and read all the other skull kickers i loved this book huge buy it for me I loved it too. Uh, I have the first two Skull Kickers trades at home. Have not touched them, <laughs> but uh, I need to pick those up and give them another read. Uh, this was really great. 
Uh, if I have one complaint, it is as a retailer. They are soliciting each issue separately with a different adjective rather than just soliciting it as Skull Kickers, Skull Kickers 19, Skull Kickers 20. Plays havoc with my POS system and my organization. It does, but here's the thing. <clears throat> it also, in the solicit, there was an added like little bonus here. Like, hey, retailers. Feel free to stock it next yeah, to the other Put uncanny this right stuff. by Uncanny, and you'll watch. The next one will be all new Skull Kickers, yeah. and then it'll be like Avenging the next Skull issue, Kickers. The next issue is Savage Skull Kickers, <laughs> and, there's an, and the cover is an homage to Frank Cho's Savage right. Wolverine so number one. you can one. set it right by Wolverine, and it's going to come out the same week as the next Savage oh, but Wolverine But here's the issue. thing. For, for stores like uh, Legend... With a with a computerized system that handles like pull right. files and subscriptions, it doesn't know to automatically assign it to <laughs> right. the per- to the people that already want your book. Right, it's You're gonna, making it harder. It's gonna wreak havoc on it. Knock it off. <laughs> but at the same time, very creative. It's very funny. It's very funny. Knock it off. But it, you get it. You're getting to buy it from me. Like the fellow once said, "Ain't that a kick in the head?" So that's a double buy-it for Guardians of the Galaxy .00000001 and a double buy-it for Uncanny Skull Kickers, number one. Of course we want to know what you bastard sons of deadbeat space dads and Dungeoneers thought of these comics. So slap your opinions on our internets over at the comments section for this episode at TwoHeadedNerd.com. All this positivity. It must be we're a happy super to, happy reunion special. We're happy to be back together. Reunited and it feels so good. With this being Papal selection season and all, it seemed like a, the perfect time for Matt and I to settle the old Popabile Batmobile drag race we've been planning since Benedict took the job. So buckle your seatbelts, nerds, because when Sexy Satana waves that checkered flag, we're going to burn rubber while reviewing 10 comics during this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Amala's Blade Zero Dark Horse. Uh, it's collected from Dark Horse Presents, but it's new to me because I didn't read these. I actually skipped hey. over them. <laughs> it's a short story featuring a young female ninja who talks to ghosts sent to kill a steampunk cyborg pirate. It sounds unbearable. There's not a lot here, but there is a really cool, chunky art feel. Kind of, uh, I saw some Mobius influences in there, maybe. But, uh... I give it a skim it. In the back, they had a pretty good interview with both a writer and artist where they fleshed out the world a little more. None of that is here. Perhaps <laughs> it will be in the next issue. Sure. Skim it. Batman Incorporated, number eight from DC. We say it a lot. Grant Morrison is doing his own thing in Batman Incorporated, yeah. but never let it be said again that the things that happen in Batman Incorporated don't matter to the rest of the DC Universe. Well, I guess we'll see. You are going to regret it if you don't track down this issue. It was wonderful. It was brutal. Brutal. It was brutal. It was brutal and beautiful. Chris Burnham is an artistic monster. This is getting a huge buy it from me. I love Batman Incorporated. I'm okay with brutal and beautiful being combined to brutal. Brutal. It's <laughs> a new adjective. <laughs> Rocketeer Hollywood Horror number one from IDW. Roger Langridge is the go-to guy for historical comics like Popeye and his Golden Age writing style shines here. Artist J-Bone is considered by some to be a Darwin Cook knockoff but I couldn't disagree more. I love the art. I love Cliff's sexy girl Betty and the story here is great as usual. This is excellent Rocketeer stuff from IDW. Joe Patrick and I talked about it a little bit last night. It is hard to get a excited about stuff like this, but I'm glad comics like this exist. Yeah. It's fun, feel-good stuff that is just lost out there today. Nothing edgy about it, but I'm giving it a huge buy-it. Love it. Five Weapons, number one from Image. This is the ostensibly all-ages or, or young adult 
series from <laughs> Jimmy Robinson, the creator of Bomb Queen, oh which is one God. of the most perverse comic books it's on a, the stands. It's like skin flick. That's the best way to yeah, describe it. Uh, There's no sex, but all boobs, man. Yeah, <laughs> there's like vaginas everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Five Weapons is the story of a young boy that gets sent to a school where assassins send their kids so that they can get a proper education. Ninja school. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Uh, there's a clever twist about the kid's identity. It's This was really fun, and J.B. Robinson ha- uh, is a great artist. I liked it a lot. I'm going to keep up with it, and I'm giving it a buy it. Thank God it's no Bomb Queen. Woo. Uh, Vampirella New Blood one-shot from Dynamite. This was supposed to be Vampirella in the True Blood universe, and maybe if I watched True Blood, I would have picked really? up more. Yeah. It's called New Blood, and it's the same thing. She's in the South. She's investigating this New Blood. This thing, that but she's not actually in the True Blood universe. Yes, all the characters are there with slightly different names. It's not. It's like they borrowed it without actually doing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the writing was really herky jerky, and at times it just didn't make any sense. The art is mediocre at best. If this was a joke, it was not funny or clever. I don't get it. I don't understand it, and I urge you to leave it. Hannah Backwin. Yeah, it was just dumb. I don't know what they were going for. Avenging <laughs> Spider-Man number 18 from Marvel. Listen up. I think Avenging Spider-Man is a very strong book. It is. And this was super fun. I'm sick of it's, people going, why do we still need this book? Yeah, it's it's Doc Ock as Spider-Man meeting the Future Foundation kids. Chris Yost wrote a really great story about the Time Variance Authority coming back in time to delete the Future Foundation Wait, because of something ap- horrible they're going to do. Did they appear in uh, She-Hulk as well? Yes, in- years ago. The Time Variance Authority is a really old concept that only super nerds like me will know. Yeah. And I really loved seeing them, and because they were from the future, they knew who Dr. Octopus was, and he just constantly shooting webbing in all their mouths to keep them from talking. (laughs) It was a ton of fun. I love it to pieces. Great art, great story. Buy this book. Savage Hawkman number 17 from DZ. Tom DeFalco steps up for the writer of the month of Savage Hawkman, and helping undo everything Jeff Johns did to fix Hawkman. Pre-launch. <laughs> that was already undone, buddy. I know. It just sucks. This is way over-narrated, too. Like, I didn't want to blame DeFalco because I like DeFalco, but I just think this was rushed and it was bad. There was even, like, spelling errors in the book. Way, way over-narrated. He walked around every panel going, Well, I remember when my place blew up four issues ago. That was crazy, but it looks like it's better now. Way too many C-issue-whatever boxes, you know, for a book that's only been around 17 issues, <laughs> which just says, Hey, no Nobody's buying this book. Please, please, please look at it. This is worthless. I'm saying start over. Kill this Hawkman. Start over. <laughs> I hate it. Leave it. There's only one issue to go. It's already canceled. Yes. Uncanny X-Men number two from Marvel. I don't know what it is, but this book does not speak to me like the all-new X-Men does. I'm, I just, I'm liking it, man. I don't know if I just don't want to read a whole monthly story about Cyclops' revolution. Or if I think it is uh, stronger in the background, you know, like as a, an additive to the main book. Ah, man, but I don't having know. it as the star of the book, it's just not doing it for me. The character designs are awful, and I love Chris Bocciolo. Magneto is wearing a white, sleeveless version of his costume. <laughs> He's got pipes. Magic and Emma Frost are He's in this ridiculous off. bondage He's gear. The glamour muscles. Come on, man. I, I love Bocciolo's art. The designs are gross. The story's just not hooking me. I'm giving it a skim it. 
because it's the X Men, and I'm gonna stick with it. Buy it for me, man. I'm still like, but it. I, it, I, I, I need something ha- to happen to get me to hook. Uncanny X Force number two from Marvel. Ron Garney's art is better than it has ever been. Like he is unrecognizably amazing in this book. I've always loved Ron. Garney. I've always loved record. him too, but he's even better. It's crazy. It's all in the ink. Sam Humphries is having a ton of fun with this team. I couldn't be happier to have Puck back. I have no idea what's happening with Phantom X. <laughs> He's like dating himself. Oh, yeah, it's really weird. But I'm 100% into it. Bishop is back. Yeah. And I think he's a monster. Oh, <laughs> we'll talk about this when we pause because I know exactly what it is. Buy it. Uncanny Avengers number four from Marvel. This book did not wow me like I thought it was going to in the early issues. But this issue really clicked for me. Uh, this is the conclusion of the first arc. The art is gorgeous. That goes without saying it's John Cassidy. Uh, but it's just something about the way it's written, this kind of bombastic, larger-than-life writing. I mean, it feels like an old-fashioned comic, not in that it's dated, but just the way that it's... It feels 80s to me. It feels very <laughs> It's 80s. like, you know, it's it's omniscient third-person narrator, yeah. and it's very, like, larger-than-life, and, and um, I, I, larger-than-life and bombastic, I already said that, but you know what I mean. It's just got this quality to it that I really appreciate. Perhaps uh, a bombastic quality. A bombastic, <laughs> larger-than-life quality, if you will. But uh, there's a great last-issue twist in typical Remender style that I will not spoil. I, it made me giggle. I really can't wait for more of this. I love this issue. I'm giving it a buy. love this book, too. I think Rick, Rick Remender is one of the most talented guys working in Marvel right now. I love it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and growl is the sound that Bishop makes when he's apparently possessed by the demon bear from the old New Mutants and <laughs> trying to kill yet another little girl. That guy hates little girls. He really needs to get a new shtick. That Bishop is one bad mother. Shut your mouth, sir. Just talking about Bishop. <laughs> Join us, if you will, in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum with the newly retired Pope Benedict and his good friend, Battle Pope have joined us for a very special communion that will not only save our godforsaken souls, but get us wasted and reveal to us the secrets of next week's comics. Joe, what is your pick for next week? My pick is Age of Ultron number one from Marvel Comics by B.M. Bendis and Brian Hitch. Next week, I don't know. Is this going to be weird? I don't know. It's, it's like totally out of continuity, right? Maybe is the thing. I don't know. It's either like don't it's going to get undone by time travel or something. Here's the thing. It's my pick of the week, not because I'm really excited about it, though I am a sucker for big events. Sure. I'm just so curious about how they're going to pull this off and still maintain the regular Here's my theory. series. With the title Age of Ultron, it's very reminiscent of Age of Apocalypse. Kinda, yeah. Perhaps. It's a different reality. I'm just really curious about it. Yeah, I gotta see. I'm morbidly curious. And I think that uh, it's gonna be fun to get back to an event where the heroes are fighting the villains and not each other. True. And I love Bendis. And obviously we all love Bendis' Avengers. Why he didn't do this as the conclusion to his Avengers rather than 
sort of flailing around with whatever Avengers story we got. <laughs> well, I mean, this was always planned to be a big event, but, you know, it's like two or three years in the making it, at this point. It they foreshadowed run. it in Avengers number 12. It should have run through his final Avengers storyline. It just should have. Well, I mean, whatever. We'll see what happens. I am, I am intrigued by it. Uh, Brian Hitch, I've kind of fallen out of love with him recently. Not me, man. But... If he's had a long time to work on this... His America's Got Superpowers was beautiful. Yes, but his Marvel work was not great. It looked rushed. So we'll see. This has been in the can... Like, the first five issues of this series have been complete for a long time. Yeah, so he's had the time to do it. Yeah, so... I'm, I'm curious about it. Matt, what's your pick for next week? I'm going with Lost Vegas, number one, from Image, by the Eisner Award winning team of writer Jim McCann and artist Janet Lee. The team that brought us Return of the Dapper Men. Yeah, yeah. About This is a story about space gamblers on a space station casino where losers are forced to work as indentured servants. It's big, weird, fun premise that only Jim McCann can supply, and it'll be packed full of fun aliens. This is going to be a wacky good time. Yeah. I'm into this. They're billing it like uh, there's going to be some sort of heist or caper. Oh, yeah. So it sounds to me like Ocean's, a magical Ocean's Eleven in space. I think it's going to be like Escape from Space Casino. <laughs> it sounds rad. <laughs> and the THN trade paperback of next week goes to The Sleeper Omnibus Hardcover by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Sleeper tells the story of Agent Holden Carver, a reluctant double agent without hope of rescue. Tao, the criminal mastermind whose organization Carver has infiltrated, you may remember him from Alan Moore's Wildcats. (laughs) You you may. Had Carver's only war. I may, anyway. (laughs) Had Carver's only lifeline. Spymaster John Lynch. You may remember him from Gen 13. You may remember him from Gen 13. Spymaster John Lynch had been shot, leaving him in a coma. Tao's cut off every means of escape, and he's persuaded Carver to join him for real this time. What? Sort of uh, The Departed. Very much a superhero Departed storyline of a guy that went undercover and got stuck there. That's no not, way out. That's not the story of The Departed. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Spo- <laughs> Regardless. Spoiler alert, DiCaprio dies. Yeah. <laughs> right, we just spent a half an hour arguing about this off air. We're, we're still turned up really loud. Regardless. <laughs> there we go. Sleeper is a wonderful, wonderful series it's by ama- Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. It's an amazing series. It's spun out of the Wildstorm titles. They're not calling it Wildstorm anymore, so a lot of this could be lost. You don't need to know the background. You don't. You don't need you to don't. know the background. If, if you're a fan of Criminal, if you're a fan of Fatal, Incognito, Incognito any of their work, this this is must-read stuff. It's the whole damn story. It's $75. It's a giant oversized book. Pick this up if you haven't read it. It's wonderful, and it's another good example of how DC totally wasted whatever good ideas they had in the Wildstorm universe. They are gone. Okay, way to end on a down note. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> of course, we want to know what you're looking forward to next week. So be sure to kneel, bow, prostrate yourself, and let us know over at our Facebook page. Facebook.com backslash two-headed nerd. You could probably figure that out. Forward slash. Forward slash two-headed nerd. You could probably figure that one out, though. Before we move on, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. The Two-Headed Nerd comic cast was brought to you by Ape Entertainment. Since 2003, Ape has been bringing readers original and licensed comics and graphic novels like Pocket Gods, Strawberry Shortcake, and the upcoming return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, which continues the saga where it abruptly ended back in 2007. 
Look for Poison Elves in this month's previews catalog on page 244 and pre-order your copy today. Check out ape-entertainment.com for more. Thanks again to Ape Entertainment for sponsoring THN. If you'd like more information about sponsoring the show, send an email to twitternerd at gmail.com with a subject line, sponsorship. With Age of Ultron hitting the shelves next week, it seemed like the perfect time to revisit Casey's Crazy Corner, where my lovely wife, who knows absolutely nothing about comics, has been given the assignment of giving you nerds a brief history of the life and times of Ultron. I'm going to go ahead and warn you, we did this after a beer tasting last night. Take it away, baby. Hey, nerds. Welcome to Casey's Crazy Corner. I've had a lot to drink tonight, so I apologize, but I'm going to give you a brief history of everything I think that you need to know about Ultron. Just in time for next week's Age of Ultron number one. Boom. (laughs) So, let's just start from the beginning. Let's go back to a time when I was not even alive. The 60s. My mom was alive in the 60s. I think she was born in 1954. Gay Gerard, holla at your daughter. (laughs) Anyway, his first appearance was in The Avengers. Which I did not know the Avengers dated back this long, but apparently they did. And apparently when he first made an appearance, he was known as someone called the Crimson Cowl. Am I saying that correctly? Cowl. C-O-W-L. Cowl. I feel like from the description I read about the Crimson Cowl, it was a lot like a Bruce Wayne and a Clark Kent. And for all of you musical lovers out there, a Jean Valjean, (laughs) which is from my favorite musical of the last year, Les Miserables. So what I mean by that is, like, how are these superheroes, including the Crimson Cow, like, I'm just saying, all these people, like, show up in one area dressed as, like, normal dude A. Then they all of a sudden become superhero, normal dude B, and their only differences are a dog like this, like the Batman, Superman, Curly Cube, Q on his hair, on Valjean, no difference there, he's just as strong, shaves his f***ing, like prison scruff and like no one knows that these people are the same f***ing people okay so anyway apparently dude hates the avengers he has like a massive heart on boner to the avengers and not a good boner but like a hate boner and i guess he is also a robot and he's been around for years in different forms but um he is apparently like an atomic bomb or something who like- is his creator oh Henry Higgins, the rain in Spain nope. falls mainly on the plains. Let's try it again. Um, Pims, Pims Cup. Henry Pims. Hank Pim. Pims. <laughs> anyway, so Pims, like build an atomic bomb, Pim. pretty much. Singular, Pim. Nah, Pims is much better. <laughs> Pim built like this atomic bomb robot to take out the Avengers. I'm not really sure why, because it didn't really go into that. There was a lot of like father son that was happening here like they need to go to therapy i would recommend cliff from the silver linings playbook which the book i just read highly recommended by matthew quick but so anyway pim is like there (laughs) and he's like i'm gonna make this robot but ultron hates him he is like not interested in it and i don't really know what happens or transpires here (laughs) but apparently Ultron decides he's in love with Wasp. So all of a sudden, though, after he becomes in love with Lady Wasp here, like Lady Sibylla and Downton Abbey, I just like to call her Lady. Lady sounds fun. (laughs) Apparently he dies a lot. A lot of times he's very decapitated. (laughs) 
<laughs> which is very kind of disturbing. But anyway, he dies. And I don't know, he's recreated again as like Ultron 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 210. And apparently after he dies, after this wasp incident, he takes on a new robot bride. But who knows how that goes? Because Mrs. Marvel, all of a sudden he like dies after Higgins like gets a hold of him. And he like is into wasp. And then as soon as he's into wasp, dies. And then he's like, Mrs. Marvel kills him again. I, I don't know. It made no sense to me. Anyway, let's move forward. Apparently, he gets recreated once again, you guys, called, um, by someone called, like, the, um, Beyoncer, but I called it, like, the Beyonce. <laughs> oh, Beyonder! My, my spell check totally checked it as Beyonce. <laughs> and this reincarnation of himself, he does not die, and, like, him and, um, Henry Pims, can I call him Higgins for sake of this segment? Because I'm gonna, like, not remember. It's your segment, sweetheart. I've had a lot of beer, so he's going by Higgs. So him and Higgs become pals. So, I mean, obviously, there's, like, major father-son issues in, like, this whole context of his relationship, right? Like, that's an underlining theme. So what happens? There's daddy issues. I don't even know. They become friends. Blah, blah, blah. Apparently, the thing from the Fantastic Four is involved somehow and decapitates him. The end of, like, the 1980s. And now it's the 90s. Era of the Fresh Friends of Bel-Air and Criss Cross. So Ultron number 12, 13, 14 is, like, reincarnated by this, like, god head that in the thing brings down and he escapes prison because it's like his brain or head in like a body of someone else another robot i mean this is getting very confusing i am confused i don't even know what i'm talking about so he upgrades his robot body to a new level and captures an avenger i have never heard of called the mockingbird is she like hawkeye he has no powers yeah they fall in love actually oh jeremy renner anyway (laughs) so I don't know what happens, but needless to say, apparently there's some brain copying and space traveling, and eventually some alcoholism. So then we move to the, in the year 2000. Okay, so the Avengers, again, discover that every creation of Ultron has, like, a secret program included in him, so he, like, continually rebuilds himself. He's kind of like a worm. Like, if you cut a worm in half, it, like, regenerates. Again... Ultron's head was cut off and he was discovered by someone who someone I don't know. Oh, wait, no, I do know that someone. His name might be Tony Stark. You guys might know him as Iron Man. And Iron Man apparently decides I discover him and now I'm going to fight him and beat him in a fight. But so all of a sudden, apparently, I don't even know what happens. Iron Man, I guess, did not defeat him in that fight. He just beat him in that fight. And then Ultron takes over Iron Man's, like, armor. Which, if you guys ever know anything about, you know, Tony Stark and his armor, which you guys obviously know way more than I do. <laughs> so apparently, Ultron gets in there and, like, takes over Iron Man's armor in his life. I don't know what happens, but my notes say he becomes the Wasp with this technology as Stark and takes over Stark Enterprises. This leads to a battle and almost a head loss. Again, decapitation. Are we seeing a theme here? Because I am. So he's thrown into space, and Ultron now is grouped with a, a planet of people called Flanax. I am sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. I have had a lot of beers, and I apologize. In the year 2010, the mighty Avengers, who he is still f- 
fucking fighting against, give up. He named himself the new Henry Higgins. So he names himself the new Pims. Like he's like taking over the role of his creator slash father. So he tries to go and kill the OG Higgins. So he tries to go and kill his like creator, which is ridiculous. So there's some negotiating involving a new robot bride that Higgins like created for him. And he's like, oh, I'm kind of into it, but I'm kind of not, but whatever. So they get into it and he like gets banished into space. But let's not lie. He eventually will get destroyed. So here we are now. Some Avengers or some lesser known Avengers discover um, a body and like floating in space, hanging out. And apparently it has the brains of f***ing Ultron because he's a goddamn robot and he's been reincarnated 227 f***ing times. And, you know, he's going to try to bring on the end of days to people. And that's where we are. And side note, if you were on his resume, he would say he is fast, super strong, has cat-like reflexes and good stamina. And he could probably run a half marathon faster than me. And that's it for Casey's Crazy Corner, which is kind of racist, but you figure that out. <laughs> uh, beyond never again. <laughs> Thanks again to my lovely wife, Casey, for uh, that interesting history lesson. I hope you could take something away from it. And if you want to read more from Casey, you can check out her blog, Girl Meets Nerd, about her life with me on TwoHeadedNerd.com almost regularly every Monday. <laughs> 60% of the time, it's on time every time. <laughs> sort, of, sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the return of Matt Bomb episode of THN. If tearful all-male reunions are your cup of tea, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, where, if you want to prove your love, you can leave us a star rating, written review, or a Stitcher thumbs up, and help us to connect with other potential listeners. It is your duty, sirs and madams. Potential? Potential. Huge thanks to all of our donors, and if you'd like to help keep us in Pope hats and rosary beads, you can make your donation in any amount using our cute little PayPal button. It's a at TwoHeadedNerd.com. It says donate. It's really helpful. So cute. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed, our Skype handle, and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or ask us to review your self-published comic, printed, digital, whatever. We promise to be nice. We don't make fun of anyone. No, we don't promise to be nice. We're journalists, damn it. We're not going to barbecue these poor kids. Come on. And don't forget to check out all of the new content from the THM Love Slaves at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Like the return of Gems in the Bin, where this week TD Dubs is reviewing the critically acclaimed smash hit, Atari Force. Yes. <laughs> Remember Atari? <laughs> And remember to follow us on Twitter, that's at TwoHeadedNerd, and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. New format this week! New format. If you want to hear your answers to the Question of the Week, as well as our own, be sure to check out the TwoHeadedNerd.com web-exclusive, not-safe-for-Weemariners audio blog, the new and improved Answer of the Week. Every response gets read on the show. Maybe. (laughs) I was like, whoa, buddy. Time allowing. Before we t- I start making promises for that. For our all new brave direction. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, Skype us or send us an email with your comic related question or hit Joey P with your best comic trivia challenge because it's time again to play Ask a Nerd. And remember, if you do email, to include Ask a Nerd in the subject line. Before we go, hey, only my wife calls me Joey P. Gross. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Roderick Ruth, who fought his way through a rowdy, drunk 
punk rock crowd just to get a big wet kiss from me at the final show of the Desaparecidos tour. That's how you say our band name, by the way. Last Wednesday at Webster Hall in New York City. The man can't be stopped. Word to you, Roderick, for outing me as a nerd in front of a sold-out crowd in arguably the hippest city in the world. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics. Your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Kids, good to be back. Welcome home, baby. Oh, he does care. (laughs) Up your butt, Silva.